Hey there, Takabaniacs of all ages and pronouns. It's your boy J Row here. Very thrilled to bring to you a very special interview today. Yes, today I have the distinct pleasure of talking to one of the guys that influenced me so much in getting involved in independent wrestling, Lightning Mike Quackenbush. For those of you out there, and I do understand there are quite a few of you who may be unfamiliar with his body of work, Mike Quackenbush, or as he's often fondly referred to, Quack, has been in the business for, actually he's just beginning his 25th year in the professional wrestling industry. And although he's engaged in the mat wars all over the globe, over that span of nearly 25 years, he's more commonly known for the touring company that he co-founded, Chikara, as well as the Wrestle Factory that he had launched around the same time, who continues to train aspiring wrestlers and people in the wrestling industry to this very day. He has helped train some of the greatest talents to grace the wrestling ring that can be seen on your television every week, and he also spent some time as a guest trainer at the WWE Performance Center in Orlando. Some of his more recent contributions, which actually played a pretty big role in us having this talk today, are his book that is available on Amazon, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, a book aimed at people in the pro wrestling industry. Although, to be perfectly honest, having read this book a few times over, I do feel that it also applies to other industries as well. Being that I have a bit of a background in stand-up comedy, there's a few of the elements in that book that I also think apply to that particular stage and that area of expertise as well. And of course, that book, like I said, is available on Amazon. You could either order it as a paperback or you can uh, buy the ebook, which is what I did, and I will make that link available in the details for this episode. In addition to that, Mike also has his podcast, Kayfabe 2.0, which is used as a, in conjunction with that book, as a complement to that book, and that's available free of charge on any podcast service, much like the one that you're using to listen to this right now. I definitely recommend that you give that a listen. It's 12 episodes. They're fairly short, but they're very, uh, very good listens. I enjoy them, and I've listened to that a few times over as well. But of course, I don't want to keep you waiting any longer than I need to, but I will tell you as well, um, speaking of Mike's touring company, Chikara, uh, they have their own streaming service, which exists, which is called Chikaratopia. And with Chikaratopia, much like the other streaming services available on the internet, it is a VOD service that you can use on a number of different devices, and you can go back and see many, 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 many shows from the quite lengthy, since they're in season 19 now, the quite lengthy history of Chikara. And with Chikaratopia, you can also catch their newer events live, actually. They produce them live, so you can watch them on the spot if you're unable to attend the shows obviously given where they're geographically located. And while with Chikaratopia, when you would typically start the service, if you are a new subscriber, you would be entitled to a free week before the $7.99 a month fee uh, goes into effect. Mike has got a little present for us, but I don't want to spoil it, so he's going to uh, bring that up during our chat. So I hope you are very comfortable. You've got your earbuds in, or if you're driving in the car, you got the stereo up, just not too loud. Make sure you're aware of what's going on around you. I hope you're nice and comfortable. I hope you're settled in, and let's have a good time talking to Lightning Mike Quackenbush. 
So we're back after a quick intro, Talkamaniacs. It's a pleasure again uh, to be talking to you. I appreciate all your attention, and moreover, I definitely appreciate uh, the gentleman who is with me now, and we were going to have a nice little chat for you guys, and I really hope you guys can appreciate uh, what he has to say. Lightning Mike Quackenbush, creator of pro wrestling, notably through the Chikara and the Wrestle Factory, and his books, uh, notably Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, which is available on Amazon, and the link will be in the description, guaranteed, as well as the complimentary Kayfabe 2.0 podcast. Mike is here with me. Mike, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. It's an absolute pleasure. So I'd like to talk to you, I guess the best place to start is always from the beginning as they say. And I remember in a speech you did for Ignite Philly, you mentioned in a recent survey at the time that 2% of ardent wrestling fans are aware of perhaps one promotion outside of WWE, which unfortunately (laughs) would mean that to the overwhelming majority of these people, my entire body of work simply doesn't exist. I'd kind of like to start there, if I may, because I believe you you started in 1994, correct? Yes, that's right. My anniversary just passed, May 20th, 1994. So that's very top of mind for me. Well, congratulations for one. Um, and yeah. I have to imagine, given the technology that we're at, that, that we're into these days, what were those early, like, pre-internet years of independent wrestling like, being someone that started in 94? What was that like? Well... Because, it, you know, as as you mentioned there, right, it really predates the ubiquity of the Internet. You couldn't Google pro wrestling training school, you know. So the closest resource I had was to look in the yellow pages of my <laughs> phone book. And I know how antiquated that must sound to people. <laughs> but that, you know, you look for pro wrestling. And most times, you know, it's there's nothing in the yellow pages for pro wrestling. Um so it was it was quite mysterious. How did you get into professional wrestling? It wasn't like now where there's like a preponderance of documentaries or other media out there that tells people's stories. You know, we all sort of know the story of how Mick Foley got into professional wrestling. We all sort of know the story of, you know, name this person, name that person. It was all very mysterious. And uh, after pro wrestling really captured my imagination and I became a very obsessive fan, I had this like – insatiable appetite. I wanted to watch all the wrestling I could watch. I wanted to read about it in magazines. If I knew someone else that liked wrestling, all I wanted to do was talk about wrestling. At the time, when when I broke in, I was still a senior in high school when I wrestled my first match. It was two, three weeks before I graduated high school. I just barely turned 18. Uh, all my school projects were about wrestling. You know, wrestling really just kind of like took over my life. And it's probably the closest thing to like feeling an addiction that I really knew. I was like addicted to wrestling. I always needed the next dose of it. Oh, there's a new show on Saturday morning. Even if it was like one of the WWF package shows like um, Mania with Todd Pettengill, where they were repurposing matches that had already aired on Raw or Superstars or Challenge. I would watch Mania just, you know, to to experience it again. So, um, you know, I, I was a very like obsessive wrestling fan way back in in the very beginning of this um speaking of going all the way back to the beginning and then once i decided oh i want to do this i really want the chance to chase this i just started trying to figure out what do you do so uh my real break although my first match is may 20 1994 my real break doesn't come until later that year when i get booked um, by a company called United States Championship Wrestling, which has a very lofty title, but was actually a very lowly 
organization. Um, I would say the 90% of the events I wrestled for USCW were attended by fewer than 50 fans. So these were very small, modest events. Um, and the, the guy who ran the organization, who I lovingly referred to as $5 Sal, would often fill up his posters, which was the main method of marketing, right, before there were tweets and before there were Facebook posts. There were these carnival-style posters, you know, where, like, the top third is pink and the middle third is yellow and the bottom third is blue. And it's the same sort of thing that you would see, like, a circus or a carnival being advertised for. But, you know, it's, say, pro wrestling coming to your local fire hall or coming to your local junior high or coming to whatever, you know. And it would say things on the poster like this, Vader versus Warrior. And then, like, underneath, there'd be a bunch of other things, you know, like, doink the evil clown, you know, whatever. Okay. But then people would turn up, and they would find out that the Vader on this show was Big Slam Vader. And the warrior that he was facing was not Ultimate, but was the Iron City Warrior. And uh, because of this practice, which which is, you know, kind of defrauding the public is what he's doing. No kidding. Um yeah, right? Like, you can imagine fans only really fell for that once in each market. <laughs> True. So so he would come into town with shows with posters like that, the big bass man, Jeff Jarrett with one F, one R, one T, you know, Vader versus War, all these bogus kind of claims, which at a glance you would see that poster and be like, oh, Jeff Jarrett, oh, the warrior, I know him from TV. And he would burn these towns, as we would say. Um, but in order to just get a break, even with – a lowly, somewhat fraudulent organization like that, I would drive across Pennsylvania to just set up the chairs. I would drive across, you know, I'd I'd make a five-hour drive just to sweep out his ring in the hope that one day somebody wouldn't show up and he would turn to me and say, hey, kid, you know, do you know any moves? Get in the ring. Because in my mind, that must be how you get in. Like, you know, you show up and you volunteer and you make yourself useful and eventually an opportunity will come and you better be ready when that opportunity comes. And that's exactly what happened. Eventually, someone didn't show up and five dollars Sal did come to the, the scrawny little kid that that swept out the ring and said, do you have anything that looks like wrestling gear? And of course, I had my singlet with me. I'd been waiting, waiting for him to ask me that. So it. You know, my experience was really different probably than most people's experience, whereas right now, you know, you could probably go on Yelp and, and search wrestling training school near me and, and read everybody's reviews of the place, you know. It's amazing how the technology has just changed it, but that's that's, that's a really <laughs> – if, if not hilarious, it's definitely an interesting story about how you <laughs> how you got started with the promoter like a $5 sal because I remember obviously – as, as technology moved on, if we fast forward, my first time seeing you, I believe, and, and your Chikara compatriots was when you guys came uh, to Quebec, notably uh, Valleyfield in Montreal. I remember mm. the Montreal went yeah. so well in, in 2004. It was one of those times where, and, you know, God bless them, we were just underage and obviously they were running in venues where you had to be of a certain age and we had to you mm. know swear up and down we just want to see the wrestling like mark our hands whatever you want we're not in it for the booze we just want to see the dudes throw each other around and on that show out of nowhere i hadn't really noticed too much attention to the show card but out of nowhere we had a six man tag with these guys from chikara and it absolutely blew my cousin and i away we were just floored we were like we didn't know that this was a thing 
like that whole <laughs> lucha style that kind of has has kind of been um basically a chikara trademark was mm-hmm. not something we were used to seeing when you were going to your local church basement on a Friday or a Saturday night. Goodness right. knows, it's not what you were getting. So it definitely led to something different, and I think it was at that moment that I said, okay, independent wrestling, Chikara. How's that spelled? It's not like the girl who sings The Hips Don't Lie, right? It's something else entirely. So from that No, but moment boy, on, do I get introduced like that a lot. Here's Mike from Shakira. <laughs> I always wondered if ever that was an issue, if that was... <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Absolutely it is, yeah. Far, far too often, I suspect, now. <laughs> okay. So, of course, that's what introduced me to the world of, you know, websites like SmartMark Video. And then from then, I became, well, not so much a tape trader. The DVD technology was, was beginning, and I had a PlayStation 2, which was the cheapest DVD player you could get. So that's kind of how uh, the, the the independent wrestling scene kind of took over my life, dare I mm. say. Because I've kind of spent, you know, tuitions on stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so if if we jump forward, obviously you'd been wrestling for quite some time by 2004, but it was in 2002 that Chikara held their first show, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was exactly early 2002. Right. How did that come about? What made you decide? Okay, I want to launch my own touring company. Well, two things. One was boredom. Uh, my the the. My business partner, when Chikara launched, was Reckless Youth, yes. who in the 90s was an exceptionally significant independent professional wrestler. Um, I, I would say there was no one more significant to the development of East Coast independent wrestling than Reckless Youth. And he had sort of an analog in Christopher Daniels on the West Coast. The two of them are uh, – if you were looking at that slice of wrestling history, the two of them loom large. They are impressive figures. True. Uh, Reckless Youth. Uh, who also went by the name Tom Carter, because that's his name. Uh, he and I started Chikara together in 2002, as well as the training facility, the Wrestle Factory. And Tom was recently released by the WWF from their developmental system in Memphis at the time. Mm. This is this predates NXT, predates FCW, etc. By a pretty significant came... margin, yes. <laughs> right, yeah, definitely. And when he came back... They had really beaten a lot of his love for the craft out of him. Uh, there was something about the 15 or 16 months he spent going round and round in their system that really robbed him of his passion. But in his absence, I was out there traveling the independent circuit hard, and I became a little disenchanted what struck me as monotony. Everyone was trying to be roughly one of two things, and and probably the most predominant of those was, keeping in mind we're talking about the top of 2002, mm. everyone is trying to fill the void left by ECW. So right in 2001, ECW and WCW were gobbled up, and this leaves a vacuum. And God knows nature abhors that. So there was all these independent groups that were desperate to become the next ECW, which meant for many of them that they had to push the envelope in terms of being violent, in terms of graphic content, uh, edgier, more adult content. And that was everywhere. And there was something about that that struck me. One, it was monotonous because everyone was trying to be that. But two, it also seemed like isn't there a part of the fan base that's not being served if everybody turns into that? And so from these things, I think, and the experience that Tom had, 
what became the basis for chikara began to form. We wanted to take different ingredients, throw them in the pan, shove it in the oven, and see what would come back out. What happens if we take a much bigger dose of Mexican Lucha Libre and toss it in? What happens if we take a much bigger dose of comic book-style storytelling and characters and we throw that in, and we threw it in the oven and saw what would come back out? And of course, in the first year or two, we did not necessarily always produce delicious dishes. We were trying hard to figure out what is our voice in this very crowded marketplace, you know, as creators. And um, to also fill in a blank in the story, Tom departed Chikara after just eight months. He was only with, uh, with me from January to August of that first year, which seems like a lifetime ago, given Chikara is in season 19 now. But after that, it really just kind of fell to me to decide what is the vision for the organization here? Like, are we just going to randomly put on live cards here and there and hope that we make rent at the end of the month? Mm. That that seems really um, aimless. So a vision and a voice had to emerge. OK. And then, and of course, that's how the, the Wrestle Factory had spurned at the same time, right? And it was around that time you guys had your first, we'll call it the Gen 1 of students. That's right. Yeah. Everyone that was with me in 2002, I sort of call the Gen 1 originals. Um, they were the ones that were there on the day when, you know, Tom walked into the Wrestle Factory and said, today is my last day. I'm gone. And I had to turn to all of them, which at that point made me, you know, like I I'm the leader now. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a partner to refer to. And, you know, Tom brought a fabulous professional skill set to the table that I did not have. Um, in his real life, he's a very talented accountant. He's a very shrewd businessman. And up until that point, I only had to concern myself with doing the creative end of things. Well, now my my job description has changed radically, and I've got to go out and face all these trainees and tell them, you know, one of the main reasons you may have come here to train reckless youth is gone. And I don't know what comes next, but we're going to have to figure it out together. And um, in a weird way, then, because we all went through that together, um, I always had a very special bond with that class of kids. Mm. I can understand that for sure. And and obviously you did something right because just as you said, Chikara is now in season 19, still running as strong as ever. Um, the one thing I enjoyed so much about Chikara, at least in, in my time watching the product, is just how, dare I say, outlandish some of the characters and the storytelling can be. Um, mm -hmm. Notably of which, the one thing I've always, I've always, not to say that it bothered me, but I remember in 2013... The one thing I can recall so well is that a show, an internet pay-per-view that you guys were running, had been basically shut down during the main <laughs> event. Right. And then all future shows were essentially just canceled and just completely removed due to Chikara being overrun by an evil conglomerate. Now, that is not something you would usually see on your Monday and Tuesday evening programming. And well, to be sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have to ask, what compelled you to kind of decide this is the way we're going to go, if I may ask? Sure, yeah, of course. Uh, and, and I love to talk about what I, what I refer to as the Ashes Project because I, I often feel like it's my misunderstood child. You know, um, it's, like, it's like the weird concept album that we made that nobody got. Uh, and, and, I mean, to be fair, that's not really true to say nobody got it, but um, – it does feel like an underappreciated thing that we attempted to do. And I suppose it, it germinated from this as an idea. We had done a series of takes on an outside group arrives at Chikara. Maybe they are invaders or something of that sort. 
But each of them were different. For example, you know, this group, they rose out of discontent. And then this group, they seemed like antimatter universe you know, like negative versions of us. Um, each of these groups, they, they had different motives. They were different in their makeup. They looked very different. And each of them wanted something different. But we had done three or four kind of takes on that where this large group emerges and then they are vanquished. But after doing that a few times, the question that kind of emerged in my mind is, is what happens if the bad guys, the invading group, win? And and what happens if maybe behind all of it is a group that you don't beat in the ring? So oftentimes in pro wrestling, the antagonist character, the villain, right, the, the heel of your story is someone that can be defeated in the ring. But corporate suits uh, uh, like a shady conglomerate that's hidden through shell companies, you don't fight them in a ring. How do you beat them? How do you vanquish them? And that as a storytelling concept really took hold in my imagination. And then luckily, uh, I mean, even from the, the point that we started developing it, which was probably three years before we even began telling the story, um, a, a few people came into my sphere, uh, one of whom uh, frequent, frequent collaborators and people that I think the world of, one named Ruben and one named Robert, they had really sort of um, championed this cause and became my moral support. And they said, this is why this story is important in professional wrestling. Look at who our contemporaries are out there, whether we look at Ring of Honor or we look at PWG on the West Coast or we look at the much larger organizations at the time like TNA, uh, WWE, et cetera, right? Some of the massive, massive players. Who other than us could actually tell this story to, to its maximum effect? Only us. Only we could really do this story. But it's going to be very, very risky. Um, and indeed it was. It, it was, it, you know, that, that pay-per-view that you watched, right, where um, that the handyman, the henchman, I guess you might say, of the Teeter conglomerate, their private army, Condor Security, swarm the ring tear down the stage and the lights and then pull the plug on the live feed and it goes to a black screen. Um, all of that was enormously risky. And then, you know, there's this period of time that follows where everything goes to darkness. It goes to radio silence um, before the next part of the narrative starts to emerge. And uh, part of why this is top of mind for me is I was – just having a chat yesterday with a fellow about this exact thing. Every once and again, someone will come up to me and be like, hey, yeah, do you remember that period of eight or nine months where, you know, you didn't do anything or you didn't make anything after Chikara went dark? And I thought, I don't know if you missed what came next, but we were running eight wrestling organizations. Yes. We filmed a movie in secret. We ran a viral marketing campaign and a live alternate reality game. And that's not nothing. Those were the busiest nine months of my life. That's true. I, I, I recall that when you, you had multiple shows going on under different names. Wrestling is art. Wrestling is heart. Uh, I don't recall the others. I apologize. But and, – and it all kind of culminated, right, with this Ashes yes. of Chikara motion picture. Yes. And the – the geocaching almost the <laughs> taking mm -hmm. yeah, place right. in Philadelphia. I'm like, who does that? And I agree completely. Now that you've mentioned that, it makes perfect sense that only a, a, a group like Chikara would be able to tell such a story in such a compelling fashion and at the same time not insult 
their audience's intelligence. Although I'll admit, having having watched it at the time, I was pretty stunned and confused at, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time during the, the conclusion of the iPay-Per-View you guys did. But when I saw over the months, I kind of thought, okay, I don't know what's really going on here. And then as I started to notice what was what was shaping, I said, wow, this was this was on purpose. This was not some freak accident or something like that. And I really loved when you guys finally came back and oh, the DeLorean, of course, the DeLorean. Mm. Who else in wrestling <laughs> would go to <laughs> such a length? So it, it was definitely something, and I, I always wanted to ask about that because it was one of those big question marks I always had in my head. So thank you for clarifying that. That was fascinating. Now, if we jump ahead, obviously, you with the Wrestle Factory, you've had generations since the original Gen 1s mm-hmm. that have since come about and kind of went on to do their own things and, and have some prominent success in Chikara and, and elsewhere, of course. And you continue to this day. Still, the Wrestle Factory is alive and well. And one thing I also like is not only do you guys do a tiered class curriculum, which really helps if there's someone out there who's like, I kind of want to get in, but I, I don't know if it's really for me. So how do I right. find out and not completely get obliterated um Mm -hmm. and this the beginner curriculum that you guys have and more importantly that you've now started featuring on facebook live on friday evenings Mm -hmm. is just is amazing i I think it's phenomenal like and i I encourage i I wish more schools would do that like if you don't mind me asking what kind of led to the tiered class curriculum was it for that reason that you wanted to bring people in in baby steps dare i say or was it something else well, certainly there's that, right? Could we find more uh, potential trainees if we lowered the barrier to entry? Because, uh, for example, if you were to join my school as a full-time trainee, you would pay $4,000, which is a hefty sum. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was the thing that we often heard from people. Oh, I'm interested to come and train. What is the cost? And I would say, this is what the cost. And they were like, oh, God, I can't afford that. Goodbye forever. Uh, so the tiered curriculum, which is where you just buy seven classes in a chunk, uh, and, and you know it's it's priced just under three hundred bucks. A lot of people found that far more acceptable, and then it gave them a chance. Just try these seven classes, seven weeks, seven classes. Maybe maybe it's for you, maybe it's not for you, but you're at less of a commitment, less of a financial risk. Stick your toe in the pool a little bit, and usually we find one of two things happens. Some people just want to scratch the itch. They just want to know what it's like to be in a wrestling ring. And that's probably the easiest way to do it. On the other hand, we find a lot of people realize then, you know what? I really want to chase this thing. Like having the bite size is not enough. I want the deep end of the pool. Let's go. Which is great. And really, like, you know, it's only seven classes. You know, whatever the reason is that that draws to you, I I just want to work out. You know, I got to work up a sweat. Great. Um. You know, from a business point of view, we got to pay the rent at the end of every month. So, of course, we want more trainees coming through, right? Like, that's how we keep the electricity on. Of course. On the other hand, it gives a lot more people an opportunity to try something that maybe they otherwise would never get the opportunity to try. And uh, I learned I learned a couple good lessons coming out of the Ashes Project. And I think one of the things that really changed my outlook on things post-Ashes was uh, we need to demystify in the absence of real information, people will just make things up. And this is really true in pro wrestling. Here's an example from my fandom. Uh, there was a popular rumor 
that there was more than one ultimate warrior. Have you ever heard this? I have not. Okay. So the story when I was a kid that was going around, and this is around the time of WrestleMania 8. So if you know your WWF trivia, right, the ultimate warrior disappears for a while and then returns to save Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 8 after a lengthy absence. But when he comes back, his body type has changed a little bit. Whatever he was doing at the time, he changed. And um, his face had thinned out a little bit. And people were saying when this guy came out at WrestleMania 8 that it was actually one of the Von Erich brothers, that the real Ultimate Warrior had died under mysterious circumstances and, and you know, whatever the, whatever the conspiracy theory was. And then this new guy is playing the Ultimate Warrior. Now, of course, here we are all these years later. We know this is false. It was always Jim Helwig. Jim Helwig was the Ultimate Warrior. There's not a day on record where one of the Von Erichs happened to be filling in for him. That's just bogus. But in the absence of the real info, people will make up every goofy, crazy theory, rumor, whatever. And this swirls around pro wrestling training. What's it like? Oh, I heard that they do this to you there. I heard they do that to you there. And that's part of why we're live streaming our beginner classes. The whole thing, start to finish. The camera does not cut off in the middle and you don't see what's going on. I really want to demystify for people what goes into becoming a professional wrestler. It's a wonderful art form and more people could learn it than I think imagine that they could. I want to share the art form with everybody because I love professional wrestling and it's given a lot to me and it gives a lot of joy to other people. And if the last thing holding you up from thinking, could I do this? I don't know. Can I get in the ring? Well, watch Ring Shape Live on our Twitch channel every Friday. You can see exactly what one of our beginner classes looks like from top to bottom. And that's kind of what fueled it. Let's demystify what goes on at pro wrestling training. I want to make it as accessible as possible to all. That's fascinating, and I really I commend you for that. Actually, it's the first school I've ever seen to do something like that, and I love it. You as as the way you worded it is perfect. Is to demystify what happens in pro wrestling training, so that basically the world can see exactly how it goes down, and they can then decide if they would like to give it an opportunity. And with the tiered curriculum like you guys offer, it's a perfect way to find out if it is something that they would really decide they want to pursue or if it's just like you said an itch that they feel the need to scratch uh speaking of training you did spend some time at the performance center down Mm -hmm. in orlando um how did that come about exactly well the the wwe was looking to hire a couple new coaches for the performance center Uh, i guess they just had a, a one or two of them depart and they had an opening on their staff and so they were bringing in trainers as guests just for a week to kind of try them out and see, you know, would you be a good fit for our system? And so because the, uh, the number two down there, Sarah Amato underneath coach Matt Bloom used to be a trainer at my facility, the wrestle factory, she had recommended me. And so I was brought down for a week, I don't know, about two years back now. And, uh, I spent a week coaching on the floor of the performance center. And then I went on the road as a producer for NXT uh, which was all fascinating. Th- that's a part of the professional wrestling business that I-, I had not been exposed to before. So that was a great learning experience for me to be out there. Hey, you're going to produce these segments on NXT. Well, okay, cool. Like this is good, good, valuable experience. Uh, and of course, I was also down there like trying to give some of my knowledge and experience. I got to spend time uh, – Some of these people now ended up going right up to the main roster. It was great to have time working in the ring with um, Gable and Jordan and Alexa Bliss and that whole class of 
trainees right before they went up. That, that was enormously rewarding. And it was great just to feel like, wow, they really do kind of accept what I do. That was really validating. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Please. I imagined that while I was down there, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of what it looks like. It's a state of the art. It's gorgeous. There's seven rings. Everything is perfectly lit, perfectly climate controlled, you know, like perfectly swept and mopped to every corner. Like it's it's pro wrestling from the future is what they're making down there. It's very well kept. So, oh, my gosh. Yes, it's beautiful. Uh, as my as my friend Matt Seidel likes to say, he's like. People are meant to learn how to wrestle in dusty garages. Well, wow, does Vince McMahon have a differing opinion on that. So I'm down there at the Performance Center, and I I just do what I do, right? Like I have my own proprietary method and theories about pro wrestling. And I imagine that every time I would say pro wrestling, there'd be some guy with a clipboard and a tie that would pop out from behind a curtain and say to me, you know, we say sports entertainment here. (laughs) That's what I thought my experience was going to be like. And it could not have been more different. They just they just embraced everything that I brought to the table. And that made me feel really validated because as someone who's only ever flirted with the major leagues in pro wrestling, there was a brief time when Reckless Youth and I almost went to ECW as a tag team, but we decided not to do it. There was a time when uh, almost had a dark match for WCW on a Monday Nitro. Um, I've not worked in that environment before. And you often wonder, like, What would it be like for me to be playing at that level? Would I succeed or would I fail? Uh, To feel the validation um, from the the fellow coaches, from the staff, from the times that they would live stream what I was doing right up to Stanford so they could observe me up there. And for them to come back then and offer me a full-time job as a coach with WWE was very, very validating. Moving to Orlando uh, is just not in the cards for me. Part of that would have involved divesting myself of all my other interests in pro wrestling, and that's not the right move for me right now. But just the fact that they did offer really did mean the world to me. And uh, even to this day, I stay in touch with some of the people that I got to work with while I was down there. It's been awesome seeing them ascend to the main stage or perform on a WrestleMania and see tiny traces of things I taught them evident in the way they perform. I I take a whole lot of pride in that. Um, It's so strange to me. Because some of my graduates from the Wrestle Factory, none more famous than Cesaro, have been on the main stage for a long time. And of course, I, I take great pride when I see my graduates there. I'm, I'm so proud of Drew Gulak and seeing what he does on 205 Live. But I got a very different sensation when, for example, uh, the, the entrance that Mandy Rose does was something I had developed with her. And when I see her use that entrance now that she's on you know, national TV, I think, wow, there's like a tiny fingerprint I've left. Um, Maybe very, very minuscule, but um, I I do find it validating. I can understand that. It makes perfect sense. Uh, Now, you said obviously they'd offered you a full-time position and and now would not be the time to you. Do you feel that maybe somewhere down the road you may consider making the move to Orlando? It's certainly not out of the question. God knows there is a certain amount of job security that comes with working (laughs) Uh, for a company of that size True. and something that I appreciated from, you know, I've got, I've got a few friends that, that perform for the WWE hearing them sort of echo to me. There is no place where the wrestling is more pure than in the performance center. You know, as you kind of move up the ladder, it becomes increasingly corporate. It becomes increasingly slave to all kinds of masters. Like who are our sponsors? How do we negotiate our television rights? All the things that a giant company has to concern themselves with. But at the performance center, um, it really was about 
how do I make you the best possible professional wrestler? And that speaks to the kind of work I'm most passionate about. That's amazing. And, and of course, that also speaks to a lot of the, the, the content that is now available to everyone from the your book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, uh, which is available on Amazon. It was a fantastic read. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I've read it a few Thanks. times over. Uh, in addition to the Kayfabe 2.0 podcast, which is complimentary to it. So anybody listening, actually, if you're thinking about – obviously, the Amazon book is is not expensive by any means. It is a steal. Uh, and if you're curious about it and you'd like to hear more from the man himself, obviously, the Kayfabe 2.0 podcast is a great place to start. I think the two go hand in hand, and I've listened to the podcast at least three times over by now so it's always a fun listen i i have to yeah. ask on that uh, subject i i've pointed it out uh you've never answered the question what is the fascination with baby accountant and when will we see baby <laughs> accountant in a chikara ring these are questions i need to, answers to sir <laughs> uh so over the years you know, I mentioned this on one of the Kayfabe 2.0 podcasts. I have heard all kinds of crazy ideas for characters. Um, like I mentioned on the podcast, one of them happens to be Greedy Moon Baron. Which I love. Uh, and Baby Accountant is just one of those, just one of those like zany characters. So when I do character workshops for pro wrestlers, and this is oftentimes a performer, they want to reinvent their character. They've done something for a while and it's stale. It's not getting the reaction they want or they're brand new. They don't have a character yet. When I help them develop characters, I think a lot of times it's really valuable to start from a character that is disposable. And I mean by that, it's a character that you know when the exercise is over, you're going to crumple it up and throw it away. In this way, the performers tend not to assign any ego to it, right? It's disposable. So it doesn't really speak to the wishing and wanting of their head or their heart. And that's a valuable place to create from. And so one of those that happened to come up in one of those exercises was Baby Accountant. And the trainee of mine who did Baby Accountant was a remarkable Baby Accountant. <sighs> so when you hear that at first, you might think, what is that? But you don't know until you try to breathe life into it. And that process will tell you a lot about a performer. Are they daring enough to take on a really challenging idea and just go all the way with it, even if it flops? I want to see you take this to its craziest extreme. Walk out fearless on stage and show me a baby accountant pro wrestler. I can't wait to see what it looks like. And when I see the kind of performer that will take on a crazy challenge like that and say, yes, I'm going to own it. And I'm going to walk it out on stage and make you all believe it. That's really inspiring to me. I see, I see a performer like that and I think this is someone you could mold into anything because they are fearless as a performer. Without a doubt. That's amazing. <laughs> I still chuckle every time I think of Baby Accountant. It always brings a smile to my face. And, you um, know, when I do seminars, that gets brought up more than anything else these days. I'm glad so I'm like, not the only one. <laughs> you may have started something here. That's just it, and I love it. Maybe. <laughs> so, so with that said, I think I, I appreciate all your time. I've gone a little bit over. I know what we were discussing, but I, I, I appreciate it tremendously, and I'm sure all my listeners do as well. Um, this Saturday, May 26th, what a better way to celebrate your 25th year in the business by uh, challenging Juan Francisco de Coronado for the Grand Championship of Chikara. I look forward to seeing that. Your 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 thoughts? Your You think it's a done deal? You think this might be it? Well, uh, I, I, that's very difficult for me to say. I, I can tell you quite honestly that I've made no commitments to wrestle after, after this. Okay. So um, I am mostly retired these days. And I understand. The, 
the occasion must be something that has great personal significance to me or I just don't put the sparkly pants on. And maybe I've become overly sentimental in my middle age. Um, I don't know. But it, it takes quite a bit these days to get me to want to go out and perform because I've, I've suffered a number of injuries over the years. Um, I'm well past my physical prime. I don't mind telling you. I don't feel uh, any kind of way about that. So this is very special. It marks the anniversary of Chikara, the organization that I founded. And uh, it's an opportunity to do the style of wrestling that I love best. Um, it was during my third or fourth tour of Europe that I became known as the master of a thousand holds. Originally, the fans over there called me Ring Wizard. And then that morphed into the master of a thousand holds. So that probably just hearing that gives you a sense of the type of wrestling that I like best. True. This is an opportunity for me to do that um, on a day that it's significant to me and it's significant to my entire ensemble. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And if you want to have the opportunity uh, to see a little bit about what we make at Chikara, it is a very unique flavor of professional wrestling if you're uninitiated. Um, for example, one thing that definitely differentiates us from all others, at Chikara we believe in uh, equal rights and equal fights. That is to say, between the bells, there are no genders in professional wrestling. We are all just wrestlers. The guys fight the girls. The girls fight the guys. Um, and we believe that that's been ours since season two. We've eradicated any division by gender. In our weird, fictitious, live combat theater universe, that's not relevant. The idea that those guys should – that the guys and girls should be separated. It's no more um, – an analogy I often call upon is this. Would you find it strange to see Batgirl fighting the Riddler? No. Um, and I, I feel like that translates directly to what I make in professional wrestling. So it is a very colorful, a very unusual universe. And if you're looking for something that's got, well, a little more spice to it maybe than what you get with the very vanilla mainstream offerings of professional wrestling, check us out. We are just launching today uh, a promotional code. So if you wanted to check out our live streams and our video vault through our service called Chikaratopia, we'll give you four weeks free. Use this promo code JEDDA, J-E-D-D-A-H, you know, like where the greatest Royal Rumble took place. And you'll have a chance to dive into our vast video vault, more than 800 hours from Chikara, including the live stream of this Saturday's anniversary event where I will wrestle Juan Francisco de Coronado. You'll see guys fighting the girls. You'll see a whole bunch of crazy masked characters and everything else that makes Chikara wonderful. Use promo code JEDA when you sign up at Chikaratopia.com. And guaranteed that's going to be in the description for this episode below so that you don't have to write it down. Certainly if you're listening in your vehicle, don't immediately pull over and stop. Get around to it when you can. I'll put it in the description. And four weeks as opposed to the usual one week. That is that is fascinating. Thank you very much for uh, for including that here, Mike. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So again, um, well, obviously you know what Mike will be doing this weekend. And I encourage you all to get onto Chikaratopia and use that promo code JETA for a full month to not only see the event live where I do hope the stars align and I hope you do come out on top at the Grand Championship, sir, but that's just I'm, – I'm, I'm biased, I'll readily admit. <laughs> uh, and, and I hope as well if you do that, you'll also take some time to uh, enjoy all of the previous shows that Chikara has in their offering. It's certainly a great value, absolutely. And if you'd like to, again, see uh, Mike's most recent work, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, available on Amazon and the Kayfabe 2.0 podcast. And if by chance you have 
happen to be within a reasonable drive of the Wrestle Factory out in uh, Pennsylvania, correct? Uh, That's right. Definitely check that out, Chikara Wrestle Factory. And if you're curious, you can always see what they're up to Friday evenings on Facebook Live. Mike, mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for this chat. I appreciate it thoroughly, and I'm sure my listeners do. I uh, Thanks again, and I wish you all the best, sir. Thanks so much, and thanks for giving me a forum to speak to everybody about these things. Always a pleasure. Hope we can do it again sometime. Mm-hmm. Take care. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I had an absolute blast today. It was my distinct pleasure to be able to chat with Lightning Mike Quackenbush for a little while. I know he's a very busy guy, and I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did. And I really think that Mike's story just goes to show that even though a lot of us wrestling fans are used to just having there be that one big company that's out there putting out content for us on a weekly basis, in reality, there are dozens, if not hundreds of others all around the globe fighting for that little piece of attention day in and day out. And Mike's is just one of those stories with him and and, and Chikara being what it is and what it's become over the years. It's a really, uh, it was really great to be able to speak to him and, and hear that directly from the, from the man himself who lived it and experienced it. And of course, if you would like to hear more of Mike and his thoughts on professional wrestling, I would say the best place to start is the Kayfabe 2.0 podcast. And if you're anything like I am, as soon as you hear that podcast for the first few episodes, you're probably going to go out onto Amazon and pick up that book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, a book aimed at people in the professional wrestling industry. And obviously a thank you to Mike again and the folks at Chikara for setting us up with their special promo code for their Chikaratopia streaming service. And you can find that service at Chikaratopia.com, and the special promo code to sign up is JEDDA, J-E-D-D-A-H, the city in Saudi Arabia. That's what they went with. And that promo code will give you a full free month of the Chikaratopia service, so you can catch Mike in action this Saturday as he challenges for the Grand Championship of Chikara against a defending champion, Juan Francisco de Coronado. And of course, that's not to say that the entire card doesn't look to be exciting, which it does, with the unique blend of characters and types that Chikara provides to make their own unique wrestling experience. As they celebrate their anniversary with Anniversario, heroes shed no tears this upcoming Saturday, 3 p.m. on Chikaratopia. And of course, I think I said last but not least, but guess what? I lied. Uh, If after watching this Saturday's event, or even just in the chat that we've had here today, if it really gets your mojo going and you're thinking about maybe seeing if professional wrestling might be an interesting career path for you, I would strongly recommend that uh, next time you're on Facebook, you follow Chikara Pro Wrestling, as every Friday evening, they are doing their Ring Shape Live series, a live stream of their beginner class in the tiered class curriculum, that they have, and you will get to see live these new students get used to being in between the ropes and seeing what it takes to become a professional wrestler. And with that out of the way, that means that the hype and plug train has safely arrived at its destination and we come to the end of our show. And of course, it goes without saying, but I'd like to say it again, a huge thank you to Mike for taking the time to sit down with me and for us to have that chat for the benefit of all of you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I always appreciate your attention wherever I can get it. 
Um, and I hope you guys had a blast. And as always, I look very much forward to talking to you guys again in the very near future. So until that time comes, I've been j you guys have been a pleasure, and I will see you next time. Adios, amigos.